Hello, you are listening to Good Poetry, the podcast about exactly that. My name is Andrew Coons, and I'm your host. And today my guest is the poet and activist Alicia Cook. Alicia is someone whose work I have been following for quite some time online. She hails from New Jersey and was gracious to jump on a Skype call with me and chat about her new book and her poetry, about hope, and about the role that poetry plays in recovery. I'm really excited to share this episode with you. So let's jump right in. So hi, Alicia. Thanks for being here on the podcast today. Hey, thanks for inviting me. I first discovered you on Instagram. Um, As I was first getting onto Instagram and and looking for poets to follow, uh, you were one of the ones. uh, It was probably a couple years back, and I have been following your work since. Um, For those of our uh, listeners who maybe don't follow you on Instagram or or don't know uh, who you are, could you give a little bit of background about uh, who you are and how you got into writing poetry? Um, I'm Alicia Cook, and I've been writing probably since I was about eight years old. I've always um, told my parents and growing up, I always wanted to be an author when I grew up. And um, I've been fortunate enough to be able to do that. so yeah, I always knew I wanted to be an author when I grew up. Um, it's funny to say now because I am con- I consider myself grown up and that's what I'm doing. And poetry for me, I don't know if I knew I was writing poetry um, at first. I just knew I was writing down how I was feeling and how it might, you know, how the world around me might have been affecting me at the time from a young age. I did not start posting writing until after Hurricane Sandy devastated uh, where I grew up. I uh, Uh, an essay of mine was published all over uh, the country uh, from the East Coast all the way to LA and it went viral I guess they say so ironically one of my longer essays is what kind of brought people to my Instagram and at the time I was posting normal things on Instagram and I had strangers all of a sudden telling me hey do you have anything else I could read by by you Um, and I was sending stuff and then I realized okay well they still want to see more maybe I could find a way to make my feed more a little, you know, a little more writing centric. And I noticed around that time, a hand, only a handful of people were doing that. Um, I guess it was the rise of Insta poetry at the time. And I kind of just jumped on that and I began sharing more essays, excerpts, blackout poetry, and it kind of snowballed from there. Was your first book, which is called uh, Stuff I've Been Feeling Lately, was that something that you already had cooking in your brain before you you got on Instagram or was that kind of maybe a a culmination of of releasing your writing through that venue? No, stuff I've been feeling lately uh, came out of thin air, uh, middle of the night idea one day. I had always known I wanted to be an author, but I always thought uh, long form fiction, maybe a memoir. Um, I never thought I'd be releasing a poetry book, honestly. I am so glad I did though, because that's what's connected with me with, to so many people who, for whatever reason, needed that book. Um, I always say I wrote stuff I've been feeling lately to manifest my own hope because during that time I was going through a very dark time. 2015, 2016 was probably the worst year span of my life for different reasons. Um, and I wrote that just to kind of get myself out of that darkness because I know how dangerous it could be if you just sit in it. Um 
And because of my activism for helping families affected by drug addiction, I kind of was like, well, how could I help both? How could I help myself? And then how could I help a cause close to my heart? And my aunt actually said, how about you? If you write a book, how about you donate some funds to uh, a rehab in our area, which I did. And I donated the first year of royalties to a rehab in New Jersey. So about a couple of years, maybe two years into posting poetry on Instagram, people started asking me, do you have a book out? You know, strangers online. Oh, where else could I get your work? Um, so I realized that there was an interest there. And I thought, hey, you know, this might be a good time. And timing's a big part of everything. And I think I just, I, I was at the right time, the right place for all that. And I'm super thankful. I want to talk about your activism work here in just a minute. But you, you said something there that was interesting to me. And that's just, you know, talking about what people need um, and, and what people relate to when it comes to, um, you know, dark times they're going through or, or dark times you might be going through. And it's interesting to me that I think poetry is one of those forms of writing that speaks very directly to um, people who are going through, you know, emotionally stressful uh, times. Why do you think that is? What do you think it is about poetry that kind of it sticks out from other forms of writing? I think... Um... I'm not going to go with a cliche answer and say because it's shorter and our generation has no attention spans because I don't believe that that is totally true. Well, it's think, been shorter for eons and <laughs> attention spans are, used to be much longer. Yes. If you notice, though, a lot of the almost the uh, criticism these days of writing is that it's, you know, too short and it's because we can't sit down and read a full book. And I think that's crap. <laughs> I think honestly, poetry has what a lot of writing doesn't have, and that's there's a rawness to it. Um, it's it's almost like a memoir. Like I'll read a memoir and react to it, like how a lot of people react to my writing and the writings of others, where it feels like it was my life or written for me. And especially with a memoir, where it's so distinctly someone else's life, but you could see yourself in it. I think poetry has a lot of that as well. And I write personally. Um, only from my own point of view, only from my own experiences. I write very detailed. If, if you are in a piece of my poetry, if you're a character in my poetry, you know it. Um, I'll describe what color eyes you have, or I'll describe a shirt or, or a music I know that, that that person listens to, for better or for worse. And I think that the detail, the more specific I get when I talk about my own life, the more people connect to it because I think they appreciate my honesty, but also we like to think we're unique and we're not. And we all go through the same very human experiences. And um, people tell me all the time, and I'm so humbled by it, that, that I was able to put into words maybe what they couldn't. Um, and I think that that's what poetry does. I'm not just speaking as my writing. I keep saying my writing, but I think poetry as a whole, if done honestly, has that that impact on people where fiction writing might not have. Yeah, it's interesting. I was at a, a poetry reading event a few weeks ago uh, by Tracy K. Smith, who's the current poet laureate. And one of the things she talked about in the question and answer section was that very thing of, you know, someone asked her the cliche question of, do you prefer prose or poetry? Um, and she was very tactful about it. But, you know, she said that, you know, poetry has the ability that once you've read a, a good poem, you often will go, my goodness, I felt that exact same thing. I just never knew how to put it into words. Absolutely. I think that that is what is so beautiful about poetry. It's it's not, um, sometimes I'll take something right from a journal and I'll, and I'll, you know, I know how to finesse my writing now. 
Um, but it, the thing I posted today, I put talking super timely. I wrote something today in five minutes and it's one of my most liked pieces on Instagram period. And I, you know, and I've had, I have had Instagram for years, so the likes could build up. And this piece in a couple hours has, I think the most likes any piece of my writing has ever had. Um, and because I sat down and I wrote something that made me uncomfortable and, and it struck people. It was on men- mental health. You're talking about poetry that, that makes you uncomfortable or poetry that, that stretches you, writing that stretches you. Um, I know that a lot of your writing and specifically your first book uh, deals with personal tragedy. Um, could you talk a little bit about how kind of overcoming personal tragedy is a theme in your work, how that ties into your activism as well? That's a very succinct way to put into words what I try to at least accomplish with my writing. I, uh, I mean, we all go through things and, and the happy moments are, are great and the celebrations are wonderful, but um, we do experience a lot of pain in life, loss. Um, and I'm of the belief that you need to believe that recovery from something is possible. Because if it isn't, that's when people start getting those terrible feelings and thoughts that, you know, that there's no point in living. You know, if it can't get better, then what's the point? And honestly, I was I was teetering on that mindset back when I was reading stuff I've been feeling lately. Um, I didn't think that what my family was going through, I didn't think we were going to have a happy ending. So I sat down and I wrote stuff I've been feeling lately and I, and I wrote it very honestly, but at the end of most pieces, I tried to, in that final stanza or paragraph, I tried to put a hopeful spin on the ending. So even if my, my life wasn't having a happy ending at that moment, I wanted my writing to, to do that because I thought, you know, if you build it, they will come almost. Um, and that's why I, that's my example of manifesting my own hope. You know, I, I would turn terrible real life scenarios um, into hopeful ones at the bottom of each, almost each piece. And I did that because people need to know that it does get better things. Even if you experience loss, like I did a death of someone very close to you. And, you know, even before that death, um, the pain that you experience leading up to that moment or, you know, is, is probably even worse. And um, I wanted people to know that you can make it out. You can make it to the other side because the world um, is never better without you. And recovery is possible from anything you're going through, even if it seems impossible. Um, and I'm not a hypocrite. <laughs> I'm living proof that that you could overcome. I know that not only do you write about personal tragedy in your poetry, uh, but you also uh, live out activism and live out um, the example of doing something about the issue, um, specifically uh, the opioid crisis. How do you feel that your kind of day-to-day work as an activist continues to influence your poetry or even vice versa? It's very blurred at this point, my, my poetry and my activism. It, they do bleed into each other. Um, I was an activist before I was a poet. Uh, just no one knew it because I didn't have a platform. I've been trying to make a difference with the opioid crisis since as long as I can remember at this point. I lost my cousin 11 years ago and only a couple years after that I tried to start doing something. But um, as soon as I was blessed with this platform and this readership, I, I knew I had to use it for good. 
I didn't just want to use it to elevate myself. Um, that was never, that's not how I was raised. And that's not how I would feel. I wouldn't be able to go to bed at night and think I, I did all I could do if I wasn't trying to use this platform for, for something else other than myself. Um, so yeah, the, my writing is influenced because I meet people, the people that I meet affect, they change my life, whether they realize or not, they come up to me crying and especially parents that lost a kid to drug addiction that they come up to me crying and sobbing. And, and it's like, they tell me I changed their life and they have no idea how they affected mine because they, they can't believe that it could be reciprocal, <laughs> but it is. Um, and I carry that with me. Every person I meet, I remember their kids' names. I, I check up on them um, as best as I can. And I um, and it's in my writing. Stuff I've been feeling lately, it, it was a little more explicit. Um, people knew why I was writing that book. My new one, I hope my voice doesn't skip. Um, it's dedicated to everyone because we are all recovering from something. Um, so in the first book, it was dedicated to someone who loves someone battling addiction, where this book is dedicated to the recovery of that or any other loss. Um, so it's implied in a lot of my new pieces as well. Um, the grief I talk about has sprung from drug addiction. But if you lost someone another way, any other illness, cancer, drug addiction, uh, God forbid a, a true tragic accident, you know, a, a fluke like a car accident or anything like that, you'll be able to put yourself into my pieces um, because it's not super explicit in this one because I wanted it to be more inclusive to just loss overall and overcoming that. Yeah. So Alicia, we were talking about uh, that piece uh, that you wrote on Instagram that uh, was speaking to a lot of people. Would you Would you read that for us now? Sure. I tell you I feel tired and you say, but you slept for 12 hours and I knew you didn't get it. I tell you maybe I need vitamin D and you crack a joke about your dick and I knew you didn't get it. You tell me I have nothing to be sad about and when I sincerely agree with you, you look at me like I have three heads and I knew you didn't get it. I tell you the noise and crowd are getting to me and you say, if you didn't want to come, then why did you? And I knew you didn't get it. I tell you my temples feel heavy and you say, take Advil. And I knew you didn't get it. You suggest maybe another shower or makeup or a run will lift my spirits. And I knew you didn't get it. And I am not mad at you for not getting it. I am jealous because it is not something that can be easily explained. This is something only truly understood with firsthand experience. Mm, that's beautiful. You know, what's interesting, there's so many things that are interesting to me about this, but uh, something that I wanted to talk to you about um, in both of your books that is kind of also present here um, is, is your use of form in your poetry. Um, and, you know, there's so much poetry out there today, probably the vast majority of it, that has no form. Um, it's, it's what we would call free verse, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Um, this is interesting to me because there's the form of repetition. The, I knew you didn't get it. I knew you didn't get it. I knew you didn't get it. Um, I know in your first book, uh, it's split into two portions, one being the poetry, and then the second being that same poetry, but remixed as blackout poetry. And for anybody who's not familiar, blackout poetry is taking any piece of writing, crossing out words, circling other words, so that you pull another meaning from the original piece. I find it really interesting that you remixed your own work um, and then just kind of that use of form presenting itself here again. 
Could you talk a little bit about what you look for when you're writing as far as what forms you want to use and how you feel it's, it's powerful? It depends. Uh, obviously, as you know, it depends on literally where my mind takes me that day. Um, I tend to love repetition. I think that when used correctly, and I hope I use it correctly, but I hope that when used, I think when used correctly, it pushes the point harder. Uh, for instance, in this piece I just read, I, I kept going back to that line, and I knew you didn't get it because it follows the narrator through different moments in her life, where um, in her relationship, where there was moments where, okay, he still doesn't get it. He still doesn't get it. And it doesn't make him a bad person, but he doesn't get it. Um, so form is important to me. Um, I don't try, a lot of people like to say, uh, oddly enough, that my, my work is unfixed and unthemed. I find that in reviews a lot. Um, but I, I think I do have a distinct style. I think people, once they really read me, they 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 pick up on my my diction, my rhyme, my meter. Um, so it really just depends on the on the piece. But for for the mental health pieces, when I when I sit back and I realize I'm writing a mental health piece, I do notice that I tend to use repetition a, a lot because I feel like, especially when it comes to mental illness and drug addiction, I feel like we need to keep talking about it. And maybe repetition comes out of my pieces like that because I feel like I really need to drill certain points home, um, especially when stigma is attached to certain topics. And repetition does seem to pop up a lot in my mental health pieces. Yeah, and it's interesting because I just I feel like repetition and mental health have such a strong connection regardless. I mean, you think about someone with OCD or anxiety um, and repetitive thoughts, but at the same time, you need repetition, you need repetition of hope in order to break those cycles. Um, and I even find that interesting that you you brought to my attention the idea that, that you had those hopeful lines at the end of your poems in, in stuff I've been feeling lately. Um, another form of repetition, really. Yes, yeah, I, I like to revisit themes. Overarching themes are always time, nostalgia, hope, loss. Those are like my four big things. Um, another thing I do, um, is I, I write about relationships, but a lot of times I don't write about, it doesn't need to be about romantic relationships. I write about friendships, family, um, where I might've been writing about family, but you might be able to place your romantic relationship in that piece. So, um, I have bigger overarching themes, I think. And, um, I take pride in, in my form because some pieces I'll spend, in my in my new book, I spent sometimes on pieces four months on like one piece, trying to get it to work in a certain rhythm. So speaking of that new book and speaking of form, uh, you do have a new book that just came out. Uh, it's called "I Hope My Voice Doesn't Skip." Um, it's got an interesting form in that it is split into two parts, uh, like your previous book, but the first half being shorter form poetry and the second half being longer. Um, talk to me about the conception of that book where did it come from and what was the process like writing your second book of poetry so following up even a remotely successful project is is an anxiety i've never felt before obviously because i never had a bestseller until i had a bestseller um so writing my first book i was just writing it like i was just putting it out into the world uh there was no no bar set or anything like that yet. Um, but then I set a bar and, um, and I set an expectation of quality 
for readers. So, and for myself. Um, so writing this, going into the second book, I knew I wanted to take my time, but I only found out I wanted to take my time after I tried to rush it. And around the one year mark of stuff I've been feeling lately being out, I started hearing those like voices in my head, like everyone else around you is releasing another book or at least announcing another book. You need to do that. And um, so I, I put some stuff together and I gave it to my mother, who is my first, the most trusted <laughs> editor. And she handed it back to me and just like red lines everywhere. Like she was like, you can't release any of this. It's not the good pieces aren't good enough. And there's pieces that just shouldn't be in here. And um, thank God for her. Honest. Because, yeah, <laughs> that's Gail Cook. Um, so uh, she was like, take your time. There's no rush. The first book is still selling well. There's there's you're still relevant. It's not like I fell off the face of the earth, you know. So I took her words to heart. And I, I lived my life and I wrote um, in a ledger and I just started thinking, how could I elevate this project? So once I started writing privately um, with no announcement, no hints uh, that anything else was coming, I, was, I wanted to elevate the project. And that's something as an artist that I feel like our true artists do is that we, we want to one up ourselves. We want to stretch our limits. We want to try to do something new. And um, I said, there's always been a musicality to my work. Stuff I've been feeling lately was themed as that. So I knew the second book was going to be themed as that. And um, I was like, I'll go backwards and I'll do a vinyl record. The title came to me before the concept of the record. I was going back and forth, forth between a burnt CD and a vinyl record. And I said, you know what? I grew up in a house that only played records. I'm going to go backwards. Um, and then I said, all right, so now I have the concept. It's going to be designed like a vinyl record. I have all this long form work I was doing. Um, but around that time, I started writing, uh, working with this song, this singer, songwriter, Ada Pasternak. She's in L.A., um, but she was East Coast originally and we're friends. And she wanted me to write a song with her about hope. And she wanted to call it hope. And uh they kind of fit the concept of my book as well. So I wrote this song with her, she recorded it, she released it, and I caught the songwriting bug. And I said, I wonder if I could keep doing this, and I wonder if I could do it a few more times with different musicians that I knew had already been following my work and vice versa. And I reached out and I pitched them, you know, a handful of musicians this idea I had about writing poetry and then setting it to music and having readers actually go and listen to it. and stars lined and every single one of them I reached out to agreed to do it and um and that was my my next level concept and then I yeah just took it from there so now there's there's nine songs in this book and I'm very excited to do something that's not really been done before and I will link uh those songs in the show notes for anyone who is interested in uh listening to those it's such a cool and unique idea and it's interesting because like I I started writing writing songs way before I ever wrote poetry. Um, and I, I feel like there's a very strong connection there. Um, would you read a poem from the new book for us? Sure. It's called Transitions. And this is from my new book, I Hope My Voice Doesn't Skip. I smell rain. The world outside is too loud today. Car horns and leaves scratching on the pavement like city tumbleweeds wakes up my anxiety. People yell in a language I can't understand. 
but by the tone I can tell they're angry. Everyone seems so angry lately. The early November air plays perfectly with my hair and blows life into my lungs but somehow manages to miss my heart. Clouds roll in and in the distance the rumble of thunder erupts and a car alarm goes off in response. More noise. I sacrifice the breeze and close the windows on all four of my heart's hampering chambers. This world sure is beautiful without all the noise we make. The falling rain splits the afternoon open, allowing room for self-reflection in the middle of this loud day. Another autumn leaf floats to the ground somewhere. I can feel it. Five minutes of quiet is all I need to regroup. I gather my breaths and roll down my windows once again. I take a deep lungful of this beautiful rarefied air full of life and sound and emotion that even the grateful take for granted from time to time. I smell resurgence. I think one of the things that really sticks out to me as I hear you read that is the use of rhyme, the use of slant rhyme, the use of internal rhyme. Um, and it's, it's, it's why I love hearing poetry read because, and I, and I tend to always write my work while also saying it out loud um, because I want it to, I want to know what it's going to sound like. Um, but there's just so much that I think you can catch when you hear the poem as opposed to just looking at it um, and trying to process it in your own mind. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, especially with this whole collection of work, I was so deliberate in word choice. Every word is there for a reason. Um, most of the times it's because it either has an underlying like Easter egg meaning or um, the flow of it. I wanted there to be a, a, you know, a cadence, a rhythm to my writing, um, because I do think that it's lacking in the genre right now. Not to say that what's out there isn't poetry, because it absolutely is. But I'm trying, I mean, I, I'm trying to do what, what is my voice, what I think is my voice. And there's definitely like a musicality to it. You know, as we've been talking, uh, one of the, one of the key words that I feel like I'm going to take away, uh, from this conversation is, is hope. Um, and the, the truth that without hope, uh, you are left with not to be trite, but you are left with hopelessness, um, could, do you have any final words to say about what hope in poetry means and, and how poetry can be a source of hope, even just in its its very existence? The idea of, of the beauty of poetry um, and, and the way this art form can just uplift people. I mean, at the base of, of this, I think that poetry is um, a reflection of life. I think it's how a lot of writers try to make sense of what's going on either internally to them, externally to them, when it's mixed together. Um, so I think that every voice matters and I think everybody's story matters. Um, I know it's cliche to say, but I, I am of the belief that one person's story can help another uh, cope with something, can help, enough, help maybe even help save a life. Um, it's that whole idea of that at our worst, at our lowest, we could feel like we're on an island and we could feel like no one in the world understands what we're going through. Um, it, there's this real isolating loneliness that comes or comes with pain like that. And I know it well, and many people know it well. Um, so I think what poetry does best, at its best, poetry is life and poetry can instill hope um, because we're writing from experience. 
I'm living proof that you could come out the other side of something horrific. And I'm one of many. So I do believe that one person's story can help another person realize that, you know, if I keep going, if I, if I keep speaking up, um, I, I'm a, I'm an advocate for people speaking up because I named my book. I hope my voice doesn't skip. Yeah. It's a play on the idea that a vinyl record will skip, but the last poem in the book, uh, maybe I'll read that one, is um, is called I Hope My Voice Doesn't Skip. And it's about understanding when you need to rest. And it's about understanding when when you need to speak up. It's probably when you're most afraid to. Um, but what matters is that you do speak up because a lot of times you're not even going to speak up for yourself. You're speaking up for the person a few steps behind you. And that's what I've kind of dedicated my life to doing. So I hope it shows in my poetry collection as well. Would you finish off our conversation today by reading uh, that poem, I Hope My Voice Doesn't Skip? When there is nothing left to say, you stop. You take in a breath, you let out a breath, you listen. Do not stutter through made-up words for the sake of hearing your own voice. When there is nothing left to say, you leave. Do not stumble through made-up words for the sake of holding on. When there is nothing left to say, you let go. You do not allow your heart to suffer. It has been too good to you to allow it to suffer. Hmm. Alicia, thank you so much for talking with me today and, and sharing your work. Oh, thank you so much. Alicia's book, Stuff I've Been Feeling Lately, and I Hope My Voice Doesn't Skip, are both available on Amazon. If you'd like to learn more about her, you can visit her website at www.thealiciacook.com. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to follow the podcast on social media, we can be found on Facebook and on Instagram at Good Poetry Podcast. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can find us on Patreon. Happy reading, and we look forward to bringing you more good poetry.